This podcast is edited and partly recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello everyone, welcome to Books Without Borders, the podcast where two people in different hemispheres come together to talk about our favourite things, books. I'm Emma. And I'm Nina. And we have not spoken to each other in three weeks. How are you? How is Taylor Swift? How is Japan? Tell the listeners everything. Wow, so much has happened in the last three weeks. Mm. It's like, I don't even know where to begin. I guess I'll start with Taylor Swift because that was the first week. Obviously, it was incredible. It wasn't so much a question of like how good it was as it was a question of like, is it worth it to go twice, right? That's the big (laughs) question everyone wants to know. Mm -hmm. And... My definitive answer, yes, absolutely. It was not like, oh, I've already seen this. In fact, she had different songs because she had changed the set list a little bit since my show back in Mm -hmm. May for various reasons. And so I think there were a total of four songs that were different that I didn't hear before. Mm -hmm. And that was very exciting. The show itself is just like very moving and was even more so when you could like actually see her physically as a person Mm -hmm. and not as like a speck far away. I mean, not to say that the faraway seats aren't worth it, because a big part of what makes it worth it is, like, the group community, the mm. experience of being in the crowd, and even just, like, seeing her as a spec is, like, fantastic. But right. Oh, right, because you were on the was, floor this time, right? Yes, yes, so I was on the floor. So, originally, mm. I was on, like, the 200s level, oh my God. and that was great. Okay. It's very different. It was fantastic. Very different. Totally different. Yeah. Completely different experience. And so then I was on the floor and I will say like being a short person, Mm. I mean, I'm not that short. I'm like 5'3", but I'm still pretty short. I definitely had to struggle a little bit to see certain things, but it was totally worth it. And all it made me want to do after the show was to get tickets to another show and be closer. (laughs) So we'll see if that happens. I don't know. I don't think it's gonna happen but the future is unknowable so (laughs) i mean i feel like she's got a long career of shows ahead of her so like it's true it's true she's very young still yeah i mean she's got a whole other year of this tour so (laughs) it doesn't have to still be this tour nina you can wait right right i can go to the next tour (laughs) but there's also something special about this tour like i don't know (laughs) It's it, it's just a very moving experience because it's like part of this time. But you, I don't have to get into this. Nina, Nina's got like stars in her eyes right now. I can't I can't <laughs> even express to listeners what Nina's face looks like right now. Well, okay, like for people who are wondering like, what is the deal with this tour, I kind of am. I totally am. <laughs> totally in love. Like the moving thing about this tour is that it's like right in the middle of all of her like re-recordings of her album. So it's this mm. big like reclamation of her music both in the tour and in her releases and Mm -hmm. so it's just like a big moment for her and everyone's a part of it and she really is great at moving a crowd like she has this command over a crowd that is like insane and so it's just a fun way to like feel like a part of a community that's always been one of my favorite things just like feeling like a part of something in a group of strangers Um, I love that about conventions I love the concerts I love that about a lot of things so yeah anyway Taylor was amazing and I was really glad to have an excuse to be in LA again I had gone earlier this year and I usually go like once or twice a year Mm -hmm. but my grandmother had just had a surgery so we got to me and my mom we got to like hang out with her sit around go out to lunch you know Mm -hmm. do all the the grandma things um my grandma and I are close so it's always great to see her and then I came back to New York 
and my cousin was visiting from Arizona and mm. I got to show her around New York. She's a couple years younger than me and it was like her first flight by herself. So that Aww, was super exciting. That's nice. <laughs> she went on the subway by herself for the first time. Aww. I was very proud of her. Yes, I had a really, really nice time with her and I'm glad we were able to squeeze that trip in even though uh, it was right between these two other trips that I had going on. Yeah. Speaking of which, the other trip is that I left for Japan. Yeah. And I'm now here in Japan. I've been in Japan for about a week now. Mm -hmm. It is Monday and I arrived last Monday. I spent pretty much the entire week just sightseeing with my mom, going around different like parks and markets, mm -hmm. eating at great restaurants, nice. seeing the sights, you know. I did a little bit of book shopping. Nice. So I got a haul for you. Nice, nice. Very exciting. I finally broken my silence on the whole Japanese book in translation thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we'll hear more about that later. But yeah, no, I've had a great time. And I moved into my dorm yesterday. I slept my first night last night. I made some friends and it's things a are very going cute well. Dorm. So I'm really, it's very cute. It's like one of these tiny little Japanese compressed apartments, but I'm very happy with it. I feel cozy and I have my own space. So mm. that's what's most important. Definitely. Yeah. How about you? How was your week? Or how were your three weeks? Honestly, I had one good week, one really bad week, and one week of recovery from the really bad week. None of it is particularly interesting, so not gonna go into it. But on the plus side, I got a lot of reading done, so got a lot to talk about in this episode. Love that. How many books did you read? I read seven books in the last three weeks. How about you? Wow. I only read two, but they're both physical, so I'm feeling proud of that. <laughs> That's honestly, the fact that you managed to read two physical books in amongst all the madness is, <laughs> you know, that's pretty impressive, actually. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Shall we get into it? Yes, let's do it. Tell me about the first book that you read since I've seen you last. Absolutely. So the first one is... Actually, I'll do the first two because I actually read them both in one night. They were both very short. So the first one is called How to Tell If Your Cat Is Plotting to Kill You. A uh, very entertainingly titled collection of... Basically, it's like just a collection of memes, but I guess it's a comic collection. The start of it was pretty promising. The first few pages, maybe like 10... 15 pages had a few panels that made me laugh out loud and I was going oh great this is going to be a really fun read and then it got into this really weird over 50 page which you know is a very very large chunk of this you know 130 something page book ongoing story of these like office cats that they work in an office of humans they're the only there's two cats that they work in an office of humans and they basically are just like bullies and it's an interesting concept in theory, but like the way it's done is just honestly not funny, <laughs> in my opinion. Hmm. And the more of it I read, the more I was like, I just, I don't get it. I don't get why this is here. I don't get why this is funny. And I just got really disappointed really quickly because it started out so strongly. And yeah, honestly, the only funny parts of this book are in the first few pages and then that's it. The rest of it's not great. And like the bits at the end, I don't even remember really. So yeah, this got a two. This Dang. is my worst book of the year so far. That's, I feel like that's a hard book to miss on too. Like a comic about cats. I know. Real and bummer. 
it's an extra bummer because, you know, books that have excellent titles, you really want them to live up to their titles, you know? Oh, like, totally. It's just how high. to tell if your cat is plotting to kill you. That's a fantastic title. And you always really want something to live up to a title like that. And so when it doesn't, it's extra disappointing. So I also hate when titles are how to and then it never tells you how to do anything. <laughs> Well, actually, it does. Like, I, oh, that really? is one of the comics in the book. Like, it's one of the earlier comics in the book. Oh, okay, good. That's so, a little redeeming. Yeah, so it is in there, but, like, yeah, the rest of the book was so disappointing. Not good, not good. Can't recommend, unfortunately. It's very often, I don't know if you've seen it around, but in Australia, at least, it's very often placed around Christmas time in, like, prominent positions in bookstores as, like, a... I'll grab that on my way out of the store. Someone I know will like this as a Christmas present kind of impulse buy position. So we actually have two copies of it in my house because both my housemate and I are known cat lovers. And so we've, <laughs> we've both been given it. <laughs> but unfortunately does not live up to its title. So that was a disappointment. Fortunately, that same night, I followed it up immediately with something I enjoyed much more, which was a book I've been meaning to read for a really long time, The Little Prince by Antoine mm. de Saint-Exupéry. My copy of it was translated by Catherine Woods. This was a delightful little read. I ended up giving it 4.25 stars. It's such a fun little journey, very light, very poignant in a few ways. Like, there's commentary on the oddness of things that adults do sprinkled throughout, which is something that I always really enjoy in kids' books. Mm -hmm. It's definitely one of those kids' books that's really written for the adults reading them. I did only give it 4.25 because it didn't do anything, like, amazing for me like it didn't have like a super big personal impact or you know it's not something I find myself drawn to read again but it certainly was very cute it had some wonderful you know the whole thing is basically fourth wall breaking in that all the illustrations are part of the storytelling like they're the little prince character asks the author to draw things for him and, and these kinds of things. It's all part of the story. And I can certainly see why it's such a well-renowned classic. It's very unique. And I can highly, highly recommend that everyone read this. It's, it's definitely something that everyone should read just so that they know what it's like. It's just because it, it is such a unique little book and I can definitely see why it has its place as a classic. Have you read this one? I have when I was young, but I'm definitely due for a reread. Mm. It's, I have a copy of it at home. It's totally worth reading as an adult, I reckon. This is something that I actually never read as a kid. And as an adult, it was so, it's just such a fun little read and very, mm. very quick. It's only 89 pages, my copy. I have a little like math market from the 70s or something, the 60s maybe even. I can't remember. But yeah, very, very cute. Very, very cute. I love that. Definitely makes me want to reread it. I might do maybe one more before we go to your first finished read. Sure. Cool. The next one was, this is the onlinebookclub.org book of the month book. Basically, mm. I wanted to read it so that I could be part of the conversations on there. It's called First Survivor, The Impossible Childhood Cancer Breakthrough. It's like a health memoir, essentially. It's written by the dad of a child who was the first kid to survive a certain type of neuroblastoma. So it is a cancer story. So, you know, trigger warnings, content warnings for that. 
but it's a survival story. You know, so it's a happy ending story there. It is, it's self-published by the father and unfortunately it does read self-published. A lot of it is unedited like diary entries from the dad of like stuff he wrote down at the time which gets old really quickly Mm. but there are also a few really interesting reflections like there's a lot of really good reflections on patient advocacy and also some interesting notes on the fact that the kid's mum was often even though she was the one that was always in hospital with her kid she was often not listened to as much and therefore whenever she needed to get anything done she would ask the dad to do it because he was more likely to be listened to. Stuff like that which, you know, those kinds of observations are always interesting to see. Right. Because, you know, it still happens (laughs) in this day and age. And so, you know, there were interesting reflections made about the medical system and whatnot. It's very much a viewpoint of people who were able to pursue, you know, they, they, this family had the financial and emotional resources to pursue extra medical treatments outside of what was being actively recommended to them. They had the intellectual resources to do their own research and look into it further, look into who would be the best specialists for them. They had the geographical privilege of being relatively nearby to some of the best hospitals in the world, which I don't think was potentially... I don't think they really ever realised how lucky they were for all of that. Mm. But it was also interesting to think about that from, you know, my perspective as someone looking in to that story. So it it definitely was an interesting book to look into and to discuss. Overall, I've given this one 3.5. Basically, it's not a fantastically written book, but it definitely is an interesting conversation starter. Hmm. And remind me, was this one that you wrote a review for for pay or it was just one you read for fun? No, no. Just read it to be part of the conversation that was happening around the book of the month gotcha. for, for the organization. Yeah. Hmm. Also, if people are interested in reading it, every book that's sold, all the profits of it do go to, I can't remember exactly which foundation it is, but all the, all the profits of the book do go to our Child Cancer Research Center. So if people are interested, I would recommend looking into that because you know for that reason alone it is worth potentially looking into it yeah absolutely that's the other reason i was more willing to look into something i normally wouldn't read (laughs) was like oh well (laughs) given a few given a few bucks to cancer and getting to be involved in a community conversation about a book at the same time why not absolutely yeah So what was the first book you finished? The first book that I read, which I read last week, was called We Should Hang Out Sometime by Hmm. Josh Sundquist. Do you know Josh Sundquist? I don't think so. He's like the early YouTube creator, friend of the green bros. The name rings a very, very vague bell, but I don't think I ever actually... He's a really cool guy. He's known as like a motivational speaker. Mm-hmm. He has written a couple books and talks a lot about his experience overcoming cancer at a young age and mm. becoming an amputee. And what you, he's what just you know, really another funny. childhood cancer survivor. Yeah, <laughs> what are the odds? It really connects. Segue. Um, <laughs> we're both reading about cancer. Well, this book wasn't so much about cancer. That's <laughs> just a portion of his life. But basically, the story is a 
I wouldn't call it a memoir so much as just like a nonfiction story about his life in which it follows how he came to the realization in his mid-twenties that he'd never had a serious relationship. Mm. And he'd had a lot of flirtations over the years, but they never came to fruition. So he wanted to go back and analyze them and see where he went wrong and see if any of them could be redeemed. I love Josh. I think he's a really funny, witty guy. I don't watch his YouTube videos so much anymore. I don't honestly don't watch a lot of YouTube anymore. And when I do, it's like my three or four core channels. <laughs> but I remember really loving his channel. I actually met him at VidCon one year when I bought this oh. book and he had it signed, which was really cool. So I really like had a lot of open mind and like positive feelings going into this book. Nice. Um, and I would say overall, it was good and it lived up to those like positive vibes. Like it was just sweet and heartwarming. It wasn't anything too intense, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, it was sort of like an analytical look at his life as an awkward teenage boy or an awkward young adult man, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And so it was, it was very just like sweet in that way. I will say I didn't rate it too highly. Okay. I rated it 3.5 stars, okay. which isn't a bad rating for me. 3.5 for me is not a four, like not a book that I would like push on other people, but I still had a good time reading it. And that's exactly okay. how I felt with this book because it was, like I said, it was just a sweet, heartwarming story, but it maybe lacked a little bit in like deeper meaning for mm-hmm. me. And it's hard to go into why exactly without like spoiling because the big mystery of the story is who's he gonna end up with right Mm -hmm. like I didn't know the name of his wife like I didn't google her or anything I didn't want to like know going into it because I kind of wanted to like guess and then be surprised at the end and so I won't like I obviously can't say like who he ended up with but I will say that for me, kind of felt like the purpose of the experiment was for naught in a way. Maybe I just had a misconception about what the experiment was and what he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. But I sort of like had an idea that like he was going back and he was searching for the one within this pool of girls that he had known before or that he would like rekindle relationships with them or that he was trying to repair those relationships. But when he would get to the section, because the book was broken up into each of the girls, right? Each of the girls was like a different chapter, sort of. And Mm -hmm. it had like the background, the hypothesis, and the experiment as three subsections of each chapter. Mm -hmm. And the background was where you get the meat of the story, like how he knew this person and how his feelings for them evolved and stuff. And that was like the cute part. And then the hypothesis was just a short, like paragraph long reflection on like what went wrong, what he thinks went wrong at least. And then when it came to the experiment section, I expected a little bit more of a conversation between him and each girl about like, where things went wrong and maybe like if it could be repaired and a lot of those conversations I'm gonna say without like spoiling too much kind of fell flat for me like they didn't feel like they really went somewhere and so like it kept building up and then sort of dropping down you know and then building Mm -hmm. up again with the new girl and you're like what happens now and then it sort of drops flat and it was like cycle Mm-hmm. that sort of happened for all of the girls for me. It kind of made me feel like it wasn't such a strong book. Mm. I will say, like, 
it's a cute story if you like Joss Chunquist, like it's worth spending the time reading. But by the end, especially maybe because it was proposed as like an experiment sort of story or like had that experiment structure, it didn't feel like the experiment was particularly necessary or Mm -hmm. fruitful, I'll say. So yeah, it's hard to describe this book without like spoiling it, but I felt kind of in the middle of the road on that one. Okay. Yep, that's fair. However, I'm glad I read it because it was a book that was physically on my TBR shelf that I had marked as like older than five years, Mm. which, you know, it's my goal to get down on that list of books. So it was success in that regard. Mm. And it it was like a harmless story. That's kind of how I ended up feeling about it. Great. Well, you know, tick. (laughs) (laughs) Tick. Exactly. Exactly. What else have you read in these few weeks? So I might do a couple more. The next one was The Liar by Stephen Fry, which is his debut novel from 1991. I started this physically and it was taking me quite some time to properly get into. Stephen Fry is, as you'd probably expect, (laughs) very fond of using a lot of very intellectual references and quite often, you know, throwing in random bits of other languages and stuff like that and especially the the main character in this book is an intentionally very pretentious character so he was often making extra intellectual references and all that kind of stuff just to be irritating to other people and the combination of an intentionally irritating main character and all the intellectual references made it quite difficult to get into and so I decided to get the audiobook as well and once I did that having Stephen Fry talking the book into my ear while I was reading it physically, the rest of the book flew by. I absolutely was just like (laughs) staring into it. Like it was on one of my particularly bad body days and I was just like staring at the book (laughs) constantly for the rest of the day. That being said, it still was only a four star book for me. I enjoyed the experience of reading it, but it was quite convoluted. The characters Mm. were very good, very interesting the plot was too much. It was trying to jam in too many things at once into a 400 page, you know, less than 400 page book. It all made sense because Stephen Fry's a genius and of course it all made sense, (laughs) but it did feel like it was trying to do a lot in not enough pages. It's kind of the opposite problem that I think Babel had for me, where like the pacing of Babel was like, you're doing a decent amount, but there's a lot of pages here. Whereas with this book, it was like, I need more pages or like a series for this to make sense in Mm. my brain. Like there's just too much (laughs) for me to unpack here. Gotcha. And don't get me wrong, it was very entertaining and I understood everything that was going on and, and everything, but like it was a lot. Basically, so the premise of this is that we've got the main character, Adrian Healy, who is, he's in a, uh, he's in a, so this is one of the problems actually. He spends some of the book, and it kind of goes back and forth, he spends some of the book in his boys' school, high school, he spends some of it in his university, and then there are snapshots throughout the rest of the book that are like a spy novel kind of vibe and those sections make no sense until right towards the end which is fine like that was a really fun element of mystery but the bits that were kind of confusing were that the high school and the university unless you were paying very close attention to the character names and like who he was sharing his room with at which place or whatever 
you had to be paying really close attention to realise which school he was at because the settings were really similar, the language he used with people was really similar, and so in the early stages of the book when I was still getting to know who he was and who the characters were, I was getting confused as to... Like, I thought he was still at, at school the whole time. I didn't realise we were jumping back and forth between his school days and his college days, his university days. And it was only like when it eventually clicked that that's what we were doing that I went, oh, okay, all right. I understand what's happening now. Whether that's on me or whether that's on some lack of clarity in the story, I don't know. It could be me. It could be the fact that I, you know, I have fatigue and I may have just missed the cues there. But it did require a lot of concentration for me to realise that because all the characters are similar they're all you know either way he's surrounded by a bunch of young boys and young men and so it was difficult for me to place which setting he was in until all of a sudden a young woman would arrive and I'm like oh okay he's at the university (laughs) you know right or like a very obvious character who's like a university tutor or something like that but if he was just in a dorm room scene I don't know because he was at a boarding school so either way Mm. so it could have been either way unless you're paying really close attention to the characters so it was a bit confusing to me to start with but once I got into it it was fine but the fact that it took me so long to like figure out the setting did kind of put me off a bit. Fair totally fair. Yeah so I would highly recommend if people do want to read this because that being said the story once I got into it was very good. If people do want to read this, I would highly recommend the audiobook because Stephen Fry reading his own work is amazing. Stephen Fry reading anything is amazing. To be completely honest, he's a fantastic (laughs) audiobook narrator. So I I think if I'd read this as an audiobook from the start or as a combined audio and physical from the start, I probably would have enjoyed it more. It's just that I think because I started out with confusion probably didn't help. No, definitely. (laughs) But yeah, overall, it's still enjoyable. I was just going to say, it kind of reminds me of that book I read, Woman in the Library. Not in a lot of ways, but just what you're saying about how there's, like, a sort of side story that doesn't totally make sense and how, like, there are different perspectives, but you're never really quite sure which one you're in. Mm-hmm. It was, like, that story where th- there's a woman who was writing a mystery novel about a mystery novel. You know what I mean? There were yeah. just, like, all these layers. And I was, like, impressed by what she did with that, mm-hmm. But it takes away from your experience a little bit when they go too far, they get too fancy with their tricks, you know? To be fair, I do think this might have been me. (laughs) Because once I figured out what was going on, the book suddenly became a lot more enjoyable. So it may be that I just wasn't in a position to be able to remember the names enough. That being said... I know a lot of readers who have trouble remembering character names until they're like a few chapters into a book. So I have a feeling it Mm. wouldn't just be me. Right. Having the same issue. So I don't know. The other thing is it maybe to British readers, it would be much clearer because the British names of the places and things like that wouldn't all just merge into that's a British Mm. sounding name. (laughs) It would would be much clearer. I do, it's weird because it's only a four-star read for me, but I do still kind of recommend it as, like, an enjoyable romp generally. It's very funny. Stephen Fry's a very funny man, so it's it's very, very humorous. It is crude. <laughs> it's very crude, so be prepared for that. Lots of, uh, the, one thing that is very interesting about it is it's set in the 70s and the amount of flagrant queerness in the main character is hilarious. But I guess, you know, in private boys' schools in England, that was, you know, just a thing. People 
were slightly more comfortable with. They were all just like, eh, there's only other boys around. <laughs> right. It was just like a... But yeah, there's all sorts of commentary on... Um, it's kind of... Honestly, this book gives dark academia vibes, but with heavy satire and humour. Like, there's a lot of it that fits into the dark academia genre, but with a fistful of dark humour thrown in as well. So, you know, if that sounds appealing to listeners, I recommend, and I highly recommend the audiobook specifically, because Stephen Fry is excellent at audiobooks. Interesting. It's definitely a unique read. I'll say that. <laughs> I honestly am having a tough time, like, getting a concept of what this book is about from this description. Good. But I don't I think want that's anyone more to the know book. what it's about. Right. It's, it's, <laughs> well, it's practically impossible to talk about what it's about. Like, right, I'll, right. Okay, well, I mean, I'll read you the blurb to give you an idea because from what I've just said to you, you will be very surprised to hear the blurb. Okay, okay, I'm on the edge of my seat. Stephen Fry's breathtakingly outrageous debut novel, by turns eccentric, shocking, brilliantly comic, and achingly romantic, Adrian Healy is magnificently unprepared for the long littleness of life, unprepared too for the afternoon in Salzburg when he will witness the savage murder of a Hungarian violinist, unprepared to learn about the Mendax device, unprepared for more murders, and wholly unprepared for the truth. Ooh, okay. It sounds like fun, honestly. Yeah. So yeah, basically the blurb only talks about like the spy novel part of the book, which is not the main part of the book. And I thought that was hilarious. Like it is, <laughs> it is the main overarching plot of the book and it's the main of the end of the book. But a huge part of the middle of the book is Adrian's school days and his university days, which is also very interesting and funny. So yeah, but it really is all over the place, which is the reason I couldn't give it any more than four stars, because it's honestly one of the most scattered books I've ever read in my life. And I never knew what was coming. Have you read other Stephen Fry? The only other Stephen Fry books I've read are his Greek mythology retellings, which I love. I've not actually read any of his other fiction works or any of his biographies. My dad has read his various memoirs and biographies, and he really enjoys them. I would be interested in reading more Stephen Fry. I think because this is his debut novel, potentially he may have calmed down in some of the future ones, or not. Who knows? Because this this is a man with a very large and active brain. I'll definitely keep reading his Greek mythological retellings, absolutely, but we shall see. We shall see. Interesting. Okay. Another book that I finished in the last three weeks is A Prayer for the Crown Shy, which is the second book in the Monk and Robot. Well, actually, I think it's only going to be the two of them, as far as I know. If I'm wrong about that, I apologize, but I'm fairly certain there's only going to be the two by Becky Chambers, the little novella pair. I really enjoyed this. This was 4.5 stars for me. It didn't quite hit the same because I, I gave some for the Wild Built 4.75. This didn't reach quite the same level of personal impact for me just because honestly I think this is the next level of philosophical life stage thinking and I'm still on the Psalm for the Wild Built stage of philosophical life ah. stage thinking. There's new questions being asked here, there's new thoughts being had and so while I still appreciated all the thoughts and questions being asked in this one, some of them were not quite as personally relevant to me and therefore it didn't 
quite hit the same way as Some for the Well Built did, which had that wonderful quote towards the end that I now have a small section on my wall. And, you know, the thing about, you know, you're allowed to just live, that's all most animals do. That's from A Psalm for the Wild Built, and that's still, you know, I remind myself of that almost every day. So A Prayer for the Crown Shy basically just follows on from where we left off in the first book in the series. Sibling Dex and Moss Cap are continuing their journey. Moss Cap is continuing to make interesting observations about how humans work. Dex is continuing to talk to Moss Cap about how society has changed since the robots were around. One of the really interesting things that I did highlight was around how this ideal future society is dealing with currency now. It's essentially a Instead of doing like a trading system or a bartering system or what have you, it's a community trading system. Basically, like instead of people having individual trade worth, they have like community trade worth. So like if you do a favor for someone or if you give someone something, you get a little tab or whatever, but then you don't owe it back to just that person. It can be owed back to anyone in the community. So like Hmm. if the tailor makes something for the farmer, the farmer can then give potatoes to the nurse and then the nurse can help fix the teacher's wound and then the teacher can help the student and then the student can help his mum and then the mum can help, you know, like it's all very much like a community effort rather than direct trade. And I thought that was really cool way that like this ideal future has made it so that People are still all contributing in one way or another, but it's all in the ways that they can and it's all communal rather than just like a one-for-one trade, which I thought was really cool. And there's a cool quote because uh, Moscap asks about the concept of debt and how debt works in this system. Because, you know, surely because he's just entered this system, he should have some kind of debt because people have been doing things for him or, you know, how how does it work if other people have debt or, you know, how does it work with children who can't do anything yet, that kind of thing. And Dex responds, nobody should be barred from necessities or comforts just because they don't have the right number next to their name. And I thought that was really poignant. And I think it speaks for itself, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. It's beautiful. Again, I highly, highly recommend everyone read both books. They're fantastic. They're really thought-provoking. They're very short and they're really inspiring and hopeful and reflective. Give them a go. They're really good. And they're just so joyful. And there's no reason not to read them, in my opinion. (laughs) So. Totally. Would highly, highly recommend. And I really should get on to more of Becky Chambers' work. Because I've enjoyed this. Does she have a lot? She has the Wayfarers series, Mm. The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. You've probably heard of that. Mm -hmm. So that's the main other thing she's written. Is that the only other thing she's written? No, she's also written a speculative fiction novel called To Be Taught If Fortunate. I don't know if she's written anything else, but I think those are the main ones. Well, I look forward to hearing more about her work. So what was the other book that you finished? The other book I finished just a couple days ago, actually, was a book that I loved. And you know I've been having a hard year with my reading, so very exciting. Yay! I only brought a handful of books 
to Japan with me. And this was one that I had bought when I was with my cousin Lily. So this is like part of my haul. I'll probably mention again later when we're talking about haul, but a little spoiler, I got Landline by Rainbow Rowell. Mm-hmm. I bought my cousin a book and she bought me a book. And that was one that I picked out for her to buy me. <laughs> I basically picked out my book and her book <laughs> just because I, she doesn't like read as much as I do and she wanted a recommendation. Anyway, Landline. Basically, the premise is that it follows a woman who's in her late 30s or 40s. She's married, has two kids, and her marriage is in a rough spot. They're having a lot of trouble. She doesn't feel like they're really in sync anymore. She doesn't know if they ever were in sync. She's just questioning things a lot. And circumstances bring up a situation where... The husband and the two kids have to go away for the holidays while she has to stay home and work. Mm -hmm. And during this time that she's away from her family for like the first time basically ever, she's facing a lot of these existential questions. And then suddenly when she goes to call her husband, he picks up the phone, but it's not him from today. It's him from 1998 when they, just before they got engaged and they were like deeply in love. And so she spends the week talking to this former version of her husband, sort of re-understanding why she loves him and remembering why they work. And it's just like this really heartwarming story. I mean, I would say it's a little bit stressful in the beginning, just because... You know, it goes to a really dark place, like the fear of breaking up a family and all of her existential worries. And she really doesn't know, even as she's like talking to this former version of her husband, if her husband left her just for vacation or is leaving her fully like it starts to go in sort of a surreal place because she doesn't know what's real anymore if she's getting this magic phone or if she's like losing her mind and so I really think you would like this book it kind of reminded me in a very small way of Mona Awad's writing just Mm. because of the way that it twists in reality and like questioning your sanity and stuff and like what's real and what's not i mean it's not super surrealist but it just has like that touch and i thoroughly enjoyed it okay I think you just enjoy this book in general because it's a heartwarming story, but it's very real. It was something I was drawn to partially because I recently read Other Rainbow Rowell and really loved it. And partially because I had read that book, Wedding Toasts I'll Never Give, and like had been thinking about like long marriage and wanting to read more stories about long marriage. So I picked this one up and it's one that's been on my radar for forever because Rainbow Rowell was really big back in like 2013, you know? Mm. I'm so glad I finally picked it up because I loved this story. I was so along for the ride, the whole journey. I was on the edge of my seat needing to know what happens next. It felt so good and so real to read. I looked up Rainbow Rowell and like her personal life just to like know more about if it like reflects her own life and there are certain details that reflect her own life like she has been in a very long marriage with someone she met when she was young and she has two kids and she also like shares a hometown with one of the characters so it felt like in part a very like personal story Mm. I just would highly recommend this to anyone I think one of the things I loved the most about it was the way that 
it sort of deals with how who you are when you're young and when you're let's say middle-aged like 40s right I think she's in her late 30s but let's just say middle-aged for the sake of the word um I don't want to offend anyone out there but basically it deals a lot with like how much you change in that time but way more with how similar you are you know Mm -hmm. and how like your younger self is so within you at that point in time yeah and how she was able to access that through these conversations and these memories and sort of break through what felt like the barriers of real adult life (laughs) you know Mm. that maybe young 20 somethings didn't have because she in the story the main character like got engaged when she was I think like 22 or something like that so it was like back to that time it was like 15 years prior Mm. it was a really beautiful story I thoroughly enjoyed it I gave it 4.5 no 4.25 I gave it 4.25 I gave fangirl four stars and so this was just a bit above fangirl Mm. for me but both had a similarly strong writing style really moving characters and great stakes I feel like I can really confirm that I love her writing and I wanted to jump immediately into Attachments, which is her other adult romance novel, but I'm in Japan and they don't have it. I mean, I could order it, but I'm only finding copies online that have a cover I don't want. So I don't know. I'm, mm. I'm in a bit of a crossroads with if like I'm going to do Attachments right now, even though I'm very much in the mood for it. I might just have to wait and get the better copy when I'm back. We'll see. Could you, like, borrow a digital copy online somehow? See, I definitely could. I don't want to listen to the audiobook because I really enjoyed her writing in a written format. Yeah. It's easy to read through, and I feel like the pacing really works for me, and I just, I, like, want to stick with that. Yeah. And I don't like looking at screens for long periods of time Mm. if I can avoid it. So... I was like really, I was, I finished Landline right before I got on like a two hour train ride and I was trying to get the ebook so that I could at least just start it on the train because I was in the mood for it. But then my library had a wait on it and I was like, you know what? I think I might've requested it, but I have a feeling that by the time it comes in, I'm not going to be on the same like wave of momentum Mm. where I would be motivated enough to read it as an ebook. It might just be one I sit on for a while or might be one that I hope to find a copy of online that I can ship here or something, you know, Mm -hmm. like secondhand or something like that. So we'll see. Other than Attachments, she has one other young adult novel and then the whole like Carry On series, which I didn't end up bringing just because... I didn't have the second two books and I didn't know if I would be able to get them here and it it just didn't feel right. That's fair. So we'll see. We'll see. I definitely think this is a great, like, also it's a very, like, holiday-themed, like, holiday season kind of story, even Mm -hmm. though I totally enjoyed it in late August. It was very much like a Christmas story, so I recommend it for that time period. Oh, okay. I highly recommend it for you. I actually really think you would like this. It just feels like a story that that fits your vibe. I have added it to the TBO. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, it it was a good one. It was definitely, I think it might have been my top 4.25 of the year because I have Mm. only the one 4.5, which is Peter Pan Mm. this year. That was my highest rated book. And then I have like eight 4.25 books. Mm -hmm. 
and that might be the highest one on my mm. list. At least that's how I'm feeling right now, having cool. just finished it. Cool, cool, cool. Well, I'm glad that you found another book you love so much. Yes, and I, I'm glad to confirm my appreciation for Rainbow Rowell. Mm. Excellent. What else have you read this week? Next up is Love Shy by Lily Wilkinson. This is a book that has been, well, it was published in 2012, and it has probably been on my bookshelves about that long. This is a young adult contemporary fiction book. It's listed as a romance, but it's not really a romance. It's kind of a romance adjacent. It's about a girl who is, she's very kind of pushy, high achiever personality. She wants to be a journalist. She sets her sights on this mysterious person who she finds on a love shy forum, which I've since done some research and it appears to be an early form of like kind of in, it's incel adjacent, but not quite incel. Hmm. So I'm going to give this the it was 2012 pass in saying that Lily Wilkinson would have had no idea what incel culture was going to turn into because, oh boy, has it exponentially <laughs> exploded since then. Basically, the love shy person in this story is portrayed as this is someone who is not just like saying there are. OK, so there is actually another character in this story who is much more like an incel and you don't necessarily like him, although he kind of is a character that becomes sort of sympathetic, so eh, but only after he changes a little. But the kind of target love-shy person has crippling social anxiety, absolutely crippling social anxiety, cannot talk two girls like will throw up on 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 people the level of anxiety yikes and his home life is odd and it's it there's a lot going on there so that was a very interesting and intriguing story i got through this really quickly it was a very easy read very intriguing high intrigue levels characters were really interesting i gave this one a 4.25 i couldn't give it any higher than that because it is quite dated already and it's only 11 years old it's just one mm. of those stories that's very much but it, like you know in a way it's kind of interesting as well because it's almost a time capsule of 2012 one of the things i really liked about it was this is written by a melbourne-born author and there, oh man i just got so much high school nostalgia from this like all the language that's used <laughs> to talk about like src meaning student representative council and like debate teams and stuff like that and it's all it's just so recognizably exactly the same stuff that I had available <laughs> to me at high school it was just so recognizably my setting it was like oh is this how Americans feel all the time when they read young adult novels they feel like this awesome nostalgia and, and I suddenly understand why like high school drama shows are so popular like the only ones I've really enjoyed uh like Degrassi because it's got like nostalgia vibe in general but usually I'm not super into them in general heartstopper aside but it's not really drama by the way that that's something we haven't talked about. Sidebar. Oh my gosh. I New know. season of Heartstopper I is out know. and it's amazing and we both loved it. I don't think we have much more to say than that because we both absolutely <laughs> adored it. But oh my goodness. I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't at least mention it. So anyway. Yes. No, we have to mention it. I watched it all on the plane to California. I binge watched I it in one day. I would love to talk more about it at some point. Yes. But we just have so many books to talk about yes, today. Yes. We so will table it for we'll now. We'll have to do that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, but yes, it was so nice to see like such a recognizable school environment, like every tiny bit of the language. Just it was like, oh, wow, <laughs> nostalgia hit. I don't even know if I would have given it as high as a 4.25 if it didn't give me that nostalgia hit, not going to lie. But that being said, the language was good and it was an entertaining story. It was very intriguing. Like I did get it read in like, you know, two or three sittings, which is good. So yeah, enjoyable. Don't know if I'd actively recommend it, but I enjoyed it. Quite a lot. For the record, mm. I can't say that I thoroughly relate to most American YA stories mm. because I didn't really go to a typical American high school. Right. I went to a very quirky, strange New York City high school. Ah. Um, however, <laughs> I know exactly that feeling that you're describing because that's the feeling I felt when I watched the movie Eighth Grade by Bo Burnham. Did you ever watch that movie? No. Oh my god. Oh, it is painful. Like... It's so painfully eighth grade. I remember I watched that and immediately felt like I healed from eighth grade in a way that I didn't know I still needed to, you know? Like, I didn't realize those wounds were still so open until I watched that movie and it healed me. It's a very good movie. I, it's like uncomfortably accurate. Mm. And the last book that I've finished in the last three weeks was Exiles by Jane Harper. This is the most recent of Jane Harper's mystery novels. I've read all of them. I love Jane Harper's work. She's a British-Australian author. She sets all her books in Australia. And this is the third and I think final in her Aaron Fork series, so trilogy, I guess. It's fantastic. I absolutely loved it. I listened to this one, borrowed an audiobook from the library. I was riveted from beginning to end. It's a mystery novel set in a small country town in Australia about a woman who has gone missing. As always with Jane Harper, there are surprises that you don't see coming. There are things that you think you see coming and then like they kind of don't but then they kind of do but then they kind of don't it, it's just it's just masterful masterful mystery writing I am a big fan of Jane Harper all of Jane Harper's audiobooks are narrated by Stephen Shanahan who is an excellent audiobook reader and I can highly recommend to anyone who's a fan of the mystery genre I'm someone who's very very picky in my mystery novels I am someone who can find the mystery genre very cheesy very easily and Jane Harper very much meets my high standards for a good mystery author so I was very pleased that she's continued to meet those standards and this was a five-star read for me. Interesting I don't think I've heard of her before. She's huge in Australia but gotcha. yeah I, I can imagine that her book's potentially do not translate as well to other audiences. Her books are all very much set in Australian landscapes, but they're probably pretty big among people who are like diehard mystery fans. Right. But I'm not a big mystery reader, so that's probably yeah. why I don't know that many names in mystery. But um, is it like one of those authors that you find a lot of their books at like their stores or whatever they're like routinely around? No, I don't think so because she's not one of those people that churns out like three or four mystery novels a year kind mm. of thing Like because she takes a lot of time and care. It's more like one book a year. So not so much. I think the people who love her books really love her books and they hold on to them. <laughs> so mm. it's 
not so much like the, you know, Mary Higgins Clark, you see her books everywhere, like just scattered around, you know, not to disparage Mary Higgins Clark, of course. So, you know, she's, she's had a a big career, but that's just the first name that came to mind because I keep seeing her books in op shops everywhere. (laughs) So, uh, you know, but, um, Jane Harper, yes, I very much enjoy her books and I would actually recommend them to you, Nina, if you're looking into, you know, exploring the mystery genre a little more, because I know there have been a couple of mystery books that you've enjoyed lately. It seems yeah. like you might be in the same category as me of like mystery can be super hit or miss, but I really, really enjoy her books. I think most of them have got five stars from me. They're all very highly rated books, at least, and all in very slightly different like nature settings in Australia. So you get like a nice kind of environment. Probably her biggest book is her first book, The Dry, which was the first book in the Aaron Falk series, and it's all set around bushfires and they kind of play a part in the mystery and that was turned into either a movie or a tv show i can't remember now but it's fairly big in australia so the the book i mean not the adaptation because obviously i can't even tell you whether it's a tv show or a movie so (laughs) um but i'm sure with a certain audience it was big but yeah Long story short, Exiles can recommend. And also with the Aaron Fork trilogy, you don't have to read all three of them or anything. Like, all three books you can read as standalones as well. So, Okay, good to know. I'll look into her. Okay, so that's all the books that we've read in the last three weeks. Now we both have two to report on that we're currently reading. What's mm-hmm. your first one? So I want to report that I have continued Lapfona. Uh-huh. Since we last spoke, I think I was like couple maybe 30 pages into it mm-hmm. not feeling great feeling pretty icky about it mm-hmm. and when I left New York like I didn't bring it to California and when I was in New York for that one week I didn't read it at all and I ended up putting it back in the library bin returning it and thinking I was going to make my peace with it because you know I, I it just didn't feel like a book I needed to like rush into reading before I left and all that stuff mm-hmm. but since I've been here I was in a situation where I needed a book for a train journey and couldn't get attachments so mm-hmm. <laughs> I decided that I would listen to the audiobook and give that a shot just to see if I can, like, get through it, you know? And interestingly, Otessa herself reads the book, Mm. which I find so intriguing. Like, how do you write that book and that level of of just disgustingness and want (laughs) to read it? Like, did no one else want to read it? Mm. Is that what it was? I don't know. I kind of see it. I mean... Maybe no one else would carry the intention that she had through. Yeah, I like... I I was about to say, like, if you're writing something this out there, I would probably want to be the one reading it myself just to make sure that everything is as intended. Yeah. All I can think while I'm reading this book is, like, how do you publish this book and still face your family? You know? And I say that as a fan, to an extent, mm. I do really like her writing, mm. but it's just so brutal. It's really brutal how disturbing this A lot of is. self-confidence is the answer to that question. A lot of self, like a scary yeah. amount of self-confidence, uh, kind of. So it is a lot easier to listen to than to read, especially because the way she reads it is a little bit more like 
pleasant. Like in my mind, I feel like I'm like hitting walls as I read it when I come up against something gross. I'm like, ugh, you know, and like, ugh, like back and forth. Like I can't <laughs> keep reading without getting stopped by something gross. And she just plows through, right? In the same like mm. normal voice. <laughs> so that yeah. definitely helps. However, I was like, why am I forcing myself to do this? Because I got through the train ride and didn't get very much farther into it than I had like in the physical edition. Cause I just started from the beginning. So I put on two, two times speed. I think I made it like an hour and a half into the audiobook, And it's like an eight hour long okay. audiobook. I was considering once again, parting ways with the book, but then I was like, you know what? Just tell me what it's about. Just tell me what happens. I just want to mm. know. I don't even care anymore. So like I Googled, like a plot summary and read up to like where the sort of action takes off and it turned out that I was really close to where the action was going to take off which was very okay. surprising because with most of her books that I've read there's no plot no action it just is uh-huh. you know what I mean and I was like if this is just one of those books that's disgusting for the sake of being disgusting and nothing happens I'm not going to read it yeah. but it does seem like there's more intense plot happening mm-hmm. so I'm gonna plow through a little bit further okay we'll see yeah okay all right so it's still a work in progress potential right right yeah I made more progress so I'm reporting it <laughs> okay all right well I continue to wish you good luck <laughs> what about you what are you currently reading so I am continuing my month-long read of Anne of Green Gables, the Audrey version, in lieu of an official Audrey read-along for the month. And now that I'm used to the full, like, sound effects production, I'm much more enjoying the experience. It's now been, you know, multiple weeks of getting used to the music and the sound effects, and I'm definitely, like... My brain is used to it now, and so it's not jarring to me anymore, and I'm actually able to just enjoy it. And I'm now looking forward to it every day. I've now been looking forward to my little dose of Anne um, every day, and it's been really lovely. It's been a really, really nice nostalgia hit because unlike Little Women, which, yes, my mum had read to me as a kid, but then I'd also read again in year eight, I think. This, my mum read to me as a kid, and I haven't read since. So Mm. I'm getting this wonderful feeling of nostalgia and this, like, I know very, very vaguely the large storylines, but I don't remember anything about the details in the plots. And so it's like I'm hearing these little details of the stories for the first time or, like, the little stories. Every now and again, there'll be one that I'm like, oh, I forgot about this story. Oh, yes, this one's so funny. And then I'll, you know, halfway through the story, something will trigger a memory. I'm like, oh, yes, I know what's about to happen. Oh, this is so funny. I love this one. Or, you know, something like that. And it's just such a lovely feeling. Oh, it's just really lovely. It's just a really pleasant experience. I love that. There was one slightly jarring moment of Anne being duped by a Jewish salesman at her door. (laughs) Honestly, the more classics I'm reading, especially from the 1800s and early 1900s, the more I'm realizing how ubiquitous the anti-Semitism, the very casual anti-Semitism is in all of these books. And the more I'm like, wow, it's just so unnecessary. (laughs) Like... (laughs) You guys have really been the tail end of the jokes for so long. Jesus. <laughs> like, I knew Could that. Could just be a salesman. <laughs> I know. Like, I knew that on some level. But 
having now reading, like just by coincidence, I've now read a whole bunch of these classics in a row that all have like a little bit of a reference at least. And I'm just like, wow, it's just really being hammered home to me right now. <laughs> How <laughs> ubiquitous this was and just so casually. So yes, that was interesting. It's a very, very brief moment. And it certainly hasn't ruined my overall experience of the book because, you know, of the time and all that. But it was very jarring moment. I was like, oh, hello. That, okay. Hi. <laughs> that's the thing that's happening. Yeah. Just for anyone who's like curious where that comes from and like why that is such a common stereotype, it's that Jews were excluded and actually like until very recently, maybe even continue to be excluded from specific job sectors and mercantilism and banking were two sort of occupations that were, I suppose, considered lesser and only made mm. available to Jews. And of course, then the joke was turned around. And, you know, right. like, despite the fact that that was like the only industry and like that's a big reason why so many Jews, quote unquote, work in that industry oh. historically is because a lot of Jews are excluded from huge portions of the workforce. Thank you. I actually wasn't aware of that background of banking especially being like a lesser job in those old days so I, I actually wasn't aware of that particular like I knew that about like the merchant stuff but I didn't realize that that also applied to the banking so thank you I wasn't aware of that so I've learned something here today thank you I don't know so so much about it I'm no expert but like that's what I've read and found out over the years and it mm. is just such a frustrating realization definitely want to learn yeah. more about that because I think that's something that is still so present in our culture that like we don't realize because in reality, you know, Jews are very present in specific sectors of industry, yeah. which can seem to some misguided people, you know, to be a conspiracy, like a conspiracy. of some kind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's interesting to find out where that ultimately comes from. And yeah. yeah, it's present in a lot of literature in very subtle ways and ways that it's almost as if the author doesn't need to communicate the shadiness of a character once yeah. they identify them as non-Christian. Exactly, exactly. And that's exactly how it came across here is that like the second he was identified as a Jew, there was no other explanation needed. Right. And the fact that that was like immediately clearly meant to be the red flag it was like oh no <laughs> here we are that being said otherwise this has been a very enjoyable reading experience and i can't really unfortunately blame lm montgomery too much for what was right very much just so ingrained at the time like she honestly just would not have had any other framework to go by <laughs> so no completely um, agree i completely agree with you Especially since this is, like, I think Anna Green Gables is actually the first book she wrote, so this is, like, early in her writing career. I don't know anything about any other stuff she wrote later in her career. I'm not I'm not an Ellen Montgomery historian by any means, but yes. So I think it's always worth, like, mentioning those things and, like, pointing them out and just being aware of them. Yes. Because I think a lot of the time, and, like, through even recent history, we read those things and in our minds we say, okay, that was a product of the time. Mm. And then we just don't bring it into the common knowledge of the book. And I think that's mm. important. Even if it doesn't mean something significant about the author yeah. and their personal biases, you know? Yep. 
And spoiler alert, it's coming up for my other current read as well. But let's, in the meantime, talk about your current, <laughs> your other current read. And I just noted we were so tired and distracted by this point in the recording that I actually forgot to come back to my other currently reading book. It was Down and Out in Paris and London by George Orwell, and I will talk about it in more detail in an upcoming episode when I've actually finished it. My sincerest apologies. I had a funny interaction when I left New York just, I think, a night or two before my departure, where I met a fellow Kurt Vonnegut fan out at a bar, and we were talking about what we read because he had been reading something, and he pulled out his... He actually had a couple Kurt Vonnegut's in his bag. That's hilarious. And one of them I hadn't read, and so... And uh, after I told him that I hadn't read it, he just was like, you know what, take it. You have to read it. So now I own it. He just gave you a book? He just gave me a book on the spot, yeah. Bonus hole. No, totally bonus hole. Bluebeard by Kurt Vonnegut. And, you know, in all fairness, I'm typically very picky about my editions of my Kurt Vonnegut's. Like, I like to have I'm stuck on someone just gave you a book. Well, yeah, I guess we just bonded (laughs) over the... The love of Kurt Vonnegut. Well, what was crazy was I asked him, uh, he was reading something, and so I asked him, like, what's your favorite book? Or what's your favorite author? Something like that. And he was like, you know, funny you should ask that because, and he pulled out two Kurt Vonnegut books. And I was like, no way. He's also my favorite author. And I was like, wait, so what's your favorite Kurt Vonnegut? Did he slip a number in with the book? Because (laughs) I feel like you've just met your soulmate. (laughs) Full disclosure, I do have his number, but that's a different story. So (laughs) now I can't tell him about the podcast. (laughs) That's okay. You don't have to tell any more about the story. So that's all good. Yeah. No, anyway. (laughs) So I asked him which one was his favorite Kurt Vonnegut novel. He literally said Science of Titan and I was about to faint. I was like, are you for real right now? I I felt like I was copying him, even though I was completely honest in my answers. Well, hey, no, now you should send him the podcast because that's proof that... No, literally. <laughs> you can say. I mean, like, ask any of my friends. That's my favorite book of all time. <laughs> um, and really just made me want to reread it when I started talking to him about it. But anyway, I was like, I haven't read Bluebeard. And he gave it to me. So now I have this copy. I think he said he was in the middle of it, too. He's like, you know what? I'm in the middle of it, but I've read it before. So here you go. Wow. If that isn't a mute cue, I don't know what is. Amazing. (laughs) Anyway, I'm very picky about my Vonnegut editions. But obviously, given the circumstances, I'm happy to accept this one. Yeah. And I started it, but like only a couple pages in because I was in the middle of Landline and wanted to finish that one up first. So yeah, this is going to be my next read. Fantastic. Cool. Well, let's talk about the rest of your haul then, shall we? (laughs) Yes. Yes. I also have some books to haul. So I've already brought up the first two books that I'm going to haul, which are Bluebeard and Landline. So why don't you tell me about your haul? All right. Well, I've got three. The first one is one that I think I told you probably last week that I'd picked up a copy of The Truth Together by Kelly Rogers through one of the sales on onlinebookclub.org's like book of the day thing. Right. I've done the same thing except this one was I think actually free through the sales but again I found through reading one of the samples on their book of the day another one that I'm quite interested in. This one's called Against the Glass by Linda M. Habib. This one is another historical fiction, so clearly the samples of those are really jumping out at me at the moment. And it's another one 
related to <laughs> abortions and depressing stuff. So, you know, clearly got some themes that I'm interested in. In a vibe. S- depressing right stuff, basically. <laughs> Historical feminism and grief and depressing stuff. So this is set in New York in 1966. So basically this book is about a woman who was in this historical fiction world, one of the first people to help set up one of the first IVF clinics in America. And she herself is someone who has had her ability to birth a legacy, so to speak, taken away from her, ripped away from her. I don't know the story about that yet, because, you know, I'm only in the first chapter, but I only read the sample of it. But essentially it's about empowering people to make their own decisions. I think it's going to be exploring domestic violence in some kind of way. Basically this is a story about like reproductive rights and the way that IVF has changed that or is starting to change that in the 60s and it also involves a bunch of emotional journeys and in the sample that I read the characters were already starting to like get me really emotionally invested so I was like hmm this sounds like something I'm gonna really enjoy reading and yeah look I mean I'm not someone who's super invested in IVF treatments as a theme usually but within the context of women's rights and feminism it sounded like it would be a really intriguing theme so absolutely yeah so I thought this might be right up my alley and the sample seemed like it was written well so I decided to download that and I'm gonna have a look at that one at some point the other two are recent Storygraph giveaway wins actually I've won another two Storygraph Mm. giveaways my luck continues congratulations (laughs) Thank you. I just keep entering them and hoping for the best. I have won an ebook copy of The Stella Snowjob by Marie Howalt. Howalt. I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce that surname, which is the first in the Colibri Investigations series. The second one of those is going to be published pretty soon, I believe. It's a sci-fi book with some LGBT stuff going on. I don't really know what it's about yet, but it's set in space. There's some travel logs going on, private investigator in space type stuff, and it sounded interesting enough that I wanted to sign up for the giveaway so I was like yeah why not and I'll tell you more about it when I eventually read it basically it's a short one it's only 158 pages so it's a bit over novella length I don't know what actually the novella cutoff is but in my head it's a bit over novella length I don't know if that's actually accurate but yeah it's a little sci-fi book seems like it could be interesting and looking forward to reading that one and last one is one that's not technically something I own yet but I'm about to own it very very soon once Audrey emails me which is a copy of the Audrey version of Siddhartha which Mm. is a yeah classic I don't even know how to describe Siddhartha um it's Well, for one thing, it's part of the Rory Gilmore reading challenge, so that's something. It's an important philosophical classic. It's been part of the literature space since it's first been published in the 20s. Even though it was written in the 20s, it rose to prominence in the 60s. I read like half this book and then didn't Oh, did you? (laughs) Really? I I read it. In like 2021 and I was liking it I just got distracted also oh. I had a negative association with the book that's oh. a different story 
Okay. Not the book's fault at all. I read like half the book and then I got interrupted basically and never finished it, but I would like to finish it because I was enjoying it. I mean, it wasn't like ravenous, but it was good. Okay, cool. Well, anyway, the point of it is to kind of help you slow down, remember what's important and, you know, find the space to nurture it, which is probably something that I could use. Not the slowing down, just the remembering what's important and finding space. And it's always nice to read something that's reflective every now and again and it's actually the Audrey read-along book for next month well the early part of next month because it's so short so I've actually managed to win the Audrey book so I don't have to buy it so that's nice (laughs) very Um, interesting I almost like am tempted to join that because I never finished it and I really wanted to mm. and that's for September yep Mm -hmm. okay okay let's see how I feel on September 1st but interesting interesting So Very what about you? Let's hear all about your haul. So the last three books in my haul are three I picked up when I went to a bookstore here in Tokyo. And mm-hmm. I was like, now's the time. I'm getting into my Japanese translated literature moment. It's been awesome. waiting for me. And it's almost like the gates just opened before my eyes and I immediately knew which ones I wanted to start with. Like I had been waiting for this moment and I wouldn't be ready. I wouldn't be ready until I got into this bookstore, which was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, because as soon as I was there and I was looking at the section, I was like, oh, I know exactly what I want. So <laughs> I bought three. Mm-hmm. The first one I got was Diary of a Void by mm-hmm. Emi Yagi. For those who don't know, this book is about a young woman who is working and finds herself feeling unappreciated, unrecognized. She wants to experience the sort of special treatment and spotlight that comes with a special circumstance like being pregnant. So she decides to pretend to be pregnant, tell everyone she's pregnant, and start like stuffing her shirt and stuff um, mm. so that people get up for her on the subway and take her coffee away and clean up after her so that she gets special treatment. It's like an attention issue that she has mm. going on. What could go and wrong? the book sort of follows how that devolves. And mm. I think that's fascinating. It kind of is scratching the itch that I had a little bit ago for more disturbed women literature. Mm. Um, so I'm excited for this. I think this is going to be the first one I start after Bluebeard. The second one I got is Tokyo Uena Station, which I haven't been to Uena Station yet, but I thoroughly plan to start reading this book and go to Tokyo Uena Station and just read it there because this book is about a person who is dead, a guy who's like a ghost, mm. who is sort of just like observing the station, the comings and goings of the people, maybe reflecting on his own life, something like that. I don't know anything else about it, but that sounds like enough. And how freaking perfect would it be to read this book at the station? I just can't. I can't. I'm so excited for that. <laughs> and then the last one, again, so excited for this book. And they're all really cute. Like, I don't know, this set of books is just like mm. exactly, I don't know, like, okay, Tokyo in a Station, adorable little book. They're all pretty short too. Diary of a Void. And then the last one is Astral Season, Beastly Season, which I'm sure I've mentioned on this podcast before, but it's the story of these two teenage boys. It doesn't ring a bell. Maybe not, maybe not, but I've, I've been excited for this book for a while. It's a story of these two teenage boys who are mega fans of a J-pop singer. Mm-hmm. And she murders and dismembers her boyfriend. Hmm. 
and the boys who don't know her they're just like normal kids decide to take the fall for the murder so it's about like cult following and you know what's the word for the way that young people today don't feel the real barrier of like the internet because of how like um like parasocial relationships parasocial relationships that's exactly what i was looking for so it's an exploration of like cult following and parasocial relationships and i am very excited for that very fun cover i just it's I, i love all three of these books that is a premise isn't that such a premise all of those are such premises and i'm so excited for them yeah and What's even more exciting is that this bookstore that I went to, it was like an English bookstore. I mean, I think it was like a multi-language bookstore, so they had a bunch of languages that weren't Japanese. They had a whole freaking section of Japanese translated literature. Mm. So it wasn't just like a couple books here and there. I am going to make my way through that wall. We'll see <laughs> how much I can do while I'm here. I'll probably awesome. bring some home as well. But these are the first three that I'm going to start with, and they're all fairly short it looks like maybe 200 pages, 100 pages, 200 pages, and this looks like also 100 pages, or 150. So they're pretty short books. Nice. I have a feeling I'm going to make my way through them pretty soon. Do you know yet what your like assigned books are going to be for that class? Well, what's that class? Contemporary and Modern Japanese Literature in Translation. I do have the syllabus, but I didn't actually recognize any names on it, unfortunately. Oh. I Well, except for, I think there's one Murakami book, but other than that, it was a lot of names I did not recognize. So I could okay. list them off, but I don't know if you'll be familiar with them either, because I don't think they're like ones that, you know, are in the popular media right now. Mm-hmm. Either way, I'll but I'll definitely be reporting them. on them. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's to come. Very excited to start classes next Monday. What other classes are you doing? I'm taking three art history courses, all Mm -hmm. sort of on Asian and Japanese art. Nice. I'm taking the literature course, and I am taking a bookbinding course. I cannot wait to tell you about that one. Wow, really? I know. I'm so excited because Japanese bookbinding is like very special. And this book isn't just about bookbinding. Like it's an art course, technically, like a studio class, I think, where we're going to be like binding books. But also I think there's a lecture portion where we're going to learn about like indie publishing and zines and other Mm. cool bookish things. So cannot wait for that. I think that is all for today. Cool. Thank you for this big catch up. We will hopefully not have such a big gap <laughs> again in time soon. But thank you for giving me that time to catch up on editing, which I have not actually done. But, you know, <laughs> health is as health does. And exactly, we do what we can do. Everyone will probably have noticed that the August episode you know the talking about what i'm going to be reading in august episode did not come out in august um (laughs) but that's fine these things will happen every now and again and uh you all get it it's fine i am disabled and fatigued and this is who you are listening to and you know this and we love you for accepting that about us. I don't know why I'm including you in this. It's all me. Um. <laughs> Let it be known that I cause significant disruption to the podcast all the time with my lack of tech savviness. This episode has taken us twice as long as it usually does, simply because I don't know how to work my iPad. Well, I mean, yeah. 
<laughs> we're, we're equally in the game here. And I think that's all right. For those of you who do listen, you are very valued because I can see from our analytics that we have lots of people who are like really committed listeners and we love you for that. That being said, if you could share episodes <laughs> with your friends, that would be awesome. Wouldn't hurt. It wouldn't hurt. We love making this podcast for you, but we would love it even more if we could make it for more people. Anyway, as you can probably tell, I'm getting tired. So let us wrap this right up. Thank you, everyone, for listening. You can get in contact with us at bookswithoutborderspod at gmail.com. That's bookswithoutborderspod at gmail.com. As always, every book that we mentioned in this episode will be listed in our show notes, along with that email address and other stuff we mentioned as well. And we will catch you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.